All right, let me bless you as we are getting ready to go here. Uh, I bless you now in the name of Jesus, that you would know Jesus more wonderfully, that you would know Jesus more wonderfully right now. I bless you in the name of Jesus that you would be healed in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit. I, I bless you that you would flourish and prevail in this season. I, I bless you that you would know the guidance and help of God in this time of your life. And I bless you that you experience the love and the joy and the hope and the peace that comes from God as we're gathered here right now. May it be. In Jesus' name, may it be. All right. Welcome back to our series entitled The Bible Land and Biblical Faith. Let's remember where we've been at in our study thus far. Let me, let, let's go back to um, a map that will kind of remind us of this. Um, each of these locations circled on the map is, uh, part of, uh, has been part of our study thus far. All three of them at one point was a capital location, a capital city. They are all three connected to Abraham and his journey in the, and life in the promised land. All three are strategic Entry points into the heart of the promised land. The, they are, they're all three sitting on that main and only north-south road, the patriarchal highway. Um, they're they are they are very similar in many ways. Now, I, maybe on this map you can see it, maybe you can't. But the patriarchal highway is called the Ridge Route. And um, just fun fact for you, once you get out of the foothills towards the Mediterranean Sea, once you get out of the foothills, all the roads are on the ridges up high, not in the valleys. Valleys are death traps. The, even to this day, a flash flooding in the valleys is, the, is one of the most uh, common causes of death in Israel to this day. Flash flooding, major issue. You don't go in the valleys once you get out of the foothills. And so this is, these roads are on the top of, of the ridges, also where the cities are. That's just fun. That's just free. For the next couple weeks, we're going to be focusing our study in, down to the south. And you can see the, the kingdom of Judah or the tribe area of Judah in green here in this map. I think it's our next four weeks are all going to be in that area connected to the region of Judah, and today's um, teaching is going to come from the southmost bit. We're going to be learning about the southmost bit of that area, an area called the Negev, N-E-G-E-V, the Negev. In our study thus far, we have been tracking the connection, uh, connected locations to Abraham and his journey in Genesis 12. The Negev is one of them. And so let me just uh, read for you again Genesis chapter 12, uh, starting maybe in verse 5 or so. <clears throat> and we're just going to watch Abraham's journey, which is going to bring us to the Negev. It says in verse 5, Abraham took his wife Sarah. <clears throat> his nephew Lot, all his possessions, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem, which was our first location at the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there in Shechem to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved onto the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Uh, he built an altar to Yahweh there, and he called on the name of Yahweh, and we talked about that area as well. 
And then verse 9 says, Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. To the Negev. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Okay, so the Negev. What is it? What is it? What is it like? Where is it? What's going on here? Let's learn. Let's, let's, Let's have some fun learning here. The word Negev means dry. So you look at this picture here, and this pretty much captures it. The word Negev means dry. Most of what is called the Negev today in southern Israel is a big, dry desert. Uh, This particular picture is taken uh, where that purple X is on the map there, down in that southern bit. Um, It's it's just like this. It's just this uh, very dry area. It's part of the area where God's people wandered in the wilderness for 40 years while they're dying out. This is, this is that area. You can't really uh, live in a, in a group in this area. There's just not anything to, to live by except for in a few um, oasis locations. Uh, and, and that's where God's people tend to be. But this area is just a vast uh, wilderness uh, wasteland. Now, in the Bible, when it's referring to people being in the Negev... It's, yes, that area is where the wandering in the wilderness happens, but it's primarily meaning exclusively, it's talking about the area just at the very top of the Negev, which I circled in purple there. That is what people call the biblical Negev. It's also really the only area that, that, that is, instead of being desert desert, it's only mostly desert. And it does get a little bit more rain, and so there is a little bit more livability in this area, this northern bit. Um, Let me just show you a few um, just random maps here. Uh, So on the rainfall map on the right, you can see that the Negev, the the biblical Negev in the circle bit there, it does get a little bit of rain. It's not the darkest color possible, uh, unlike down by the south of the Red Sea, or Dead Sea there. And then you can see on the, the, the map of vegetation or whatever it is, products of the land, um, there's that purple bit, which means it's a different kind of soil. Windswept, I don't, I don't want to talk about soil. Uh, but it's grain. It's a grain area. It's a dry grain area. Just a little bit different part of the land. Okay. <clears throat> I want to teach you a bit about the biblical Negev today. And I want to show you some pictures, but the main gist of it all is this. It is a very dry land. It's a very dry land. And most of the stories in this dry land are of spiritual, or of wandering nomads and rebels. Wandering nomads and rebels in this area. Here's some pictures of this northern bit of the Negev today. Now... That does not look so bad. This is deceitful, <laughs> deceiving. This is deceiving because modern irrigation techniques in Israel and modern farming science has made the Negev way more fertile and, and prosperous and things grow here pretty well. So this is what it's like today. Um, now you've got to like downsize it like a hundred times <laughs> when it comes to 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 the amount of of growing things back in the Bible lands. Uh, It is a land of grain. 
you can see uh, on this next picture, um, the, the area that this picture is taken is near Gerar, and you can see on the map a purple circle. This is the best part of the Negev. It's near the coast, and it's the best part for growing grain. Um, there's a story in the Bible that takes place here, and it's the story of Abraham's son, Isaac. And it, it talks about this story where Abraham's son Isaac goes to Gerar, and he's living there for a bit, and he plants in the ground and reaps a hundred times what is sown. It, it's this kind of miracle crop, like in this area. Very miraculous in Isaac's day. Now it's every year because of modern farm technology and irrigation and all of that now in, in the promised land. But Isaac had an extraordinary, uh, uh, miraculous God blessing here in the Negev as he lived here in the Negev. Um, notice the purple bit on the map there. Another Bible person that you're familiar with spent time there, uh, King David. He was given a city there, a town called Ziklag, and it's, it's there. In the, now again, <laughs> you got to downsize the green, right, when it, when it comes to this area. But he was given this town. He lives there when he is a rebel. Uh, King Saul is hunting him. He goes to the Philistine land. They gave him this town, and he, his family continues to have possession of this town for many generations. It's here in the Negev where he lives a bit. His wives and kids, whatever ones he had at the time, were kidnapped from this town. And, um, and it was destroyed by the Amalekites, and he went chasing after them. All that's taking place. David spends time here in the Negev in this, in this particular area. Okay, so that is the best bit of the Negev. And, and again, with modern technology, it looks a lot better than, than the mostly desert that it was. This next picture is more inland. And this is the fortress at Erad. Erad. And you can see on the map now we've moved way inland here to the other side of the north of the, of the thing. And what you're seeing is the, the fortress of Erad, which was built by King Solomon and then expanded by the kings after him. The ancient city of Arad is just at the bottom left of this picture, like kind of right at the point um, of the picture is pretty much the starting point of the, of the, the ancient city where the, the people lived, um, both in Moses' day, uh, 500 years earlier before Solomon, and then in Solomon's day. Uh, I don't want to lose you here on the, on the timeline. Let's put up the timeline real quick. Okay, so we're talking about the Negev. I've talked about Abraham, uh, and I will more, and Isaac being in the Negev, and that's at around 2000 BC. You can see that arrow there. Moses and that generation wandering in the wilderness, that's around 1410 to 1450-ish, that sort of zone, that there in the Negev area, uh, down to the south bit. And then with Arad here, uh, it's, be, it's being, this fortress is being built in Solomon's day and then being uh, run as a fortress all through the north and south kingdoms and then just the south only kingdoms, all the way to Babylon. That's, that's where this fortress is um, being expanded and, and growing. Okay, um, thinking of Moses here, it, that's, Moses' story is the first point where you do have this city of Arad show up in the Bible. And... They're, the people are wandering in the wilderness. The king of Arad comes down to fight God's people who are there just south of Arad. And the king of Arad loses to God's people. That's kind of the first biblical reference of this particular city. 
But like I said, Solomon builds this place, right? He builds this, this city and it's this fortress to guard the southern border of the land. Kings are experimenting or are expanding on it and, and renovating it. I put a red circle here uh, on, the, on the fortress built by Solomon and, and by the kings. This is not a, a Canaanite fortress. This is from Solomon only. What do you think is in that red circle? Spiritual rebellion is in that red circle. It's a, it's a temple. Uh, it's a temple set up. You can go to the next picture. It's, it's a temple to Yahweh, the God of the Bible, who ironically says, don't build me temples other than the one in Jerusalem. Uh, I want to be worshipped there. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a temple to Yahweh and to Asherah. And to Asherah, both sharing the same temple. You got to imagine Yahweh was not happy about that. You can see the altar there out in front and, and then the Holy of Holies area in the back. Um, the next picture shows more closer up on the Holy of Holies there. You can see two incense altar, altars. The one to the right, the shorter one, is for Yahweh. The one to the left is to Asherah. Um, in these temples, they would have a standing stone to represent the deity. In the back, you have Yahweh's standing stone, which you can see in the back corner there. I doubt you can see the Asherah one, which is just kind of hidden. It's, it is there, but it's, it's on the back left corner as well. Um, so you have this... Uh, real perversion of the re rebellious worship of the God of the Bible. Now, you see this in the Negev. You see this in the Negev, in, in Arad. This, this particular temple was buried, uh, covered with dirt in the time of Hezekiah, just like the Bible talks about his reforms. And then Josiah's reforms, they, they covered this up and they, uh, and they stopped this, this twisted worship. Um, yeah. Anyways, it's, it's, it, I find this pretty disturbing. So that's in Arad. Uh, there's another place in the Negev which is talked a lot about uh, in the Bible more than these other places. It's a place where Abraham lives for a while, a place called Beersheba. Beersheba, and you can see on the map there the purple circle. Now we're kind of in that middle bit of the northern bit of the Negev <clears throat> between where Isaac was and uh, Arad. And you can see in the picture there's a stream bed behind it. It's, a, it's an amazing hill. It's a, it's a great tell there for a city. But there's a stream bed behind it. Now, it's dry a lot of the time, but uh, water does flow down through here. And, and what you need to know about the Negev is, is where there are streams, where are the streams in the Negev, there is life. Where there is streams in the Negev, things go from Death to life. Things go from dry to green. They go from dirt to grass. They, 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 things come alive and flourish when there is streams in the Negev. In, in this dry place, water is life. Water is everything. No water, no hope. No water, no hope. In Psalm 126, uh, the psalmist writes, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Like it, it's, when, when water flows in the Negev, life is restored. It, life is restored. Restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. Now, in this northern bit of the Negev, there is rain, but that's not for the people. The, the rain isn't enough for people. That, the rain is enough for the, 
for the grain, whatever is going to be harvested there. It's enough for a bit of grass to grow. Again, not much rain at all, eight inches a year. A little, for grass to grow for maybe some sheepies or, or whatever. If you want people to be living in the, in the Negev, you need a spring or a stream or a well. You need a stream, a spring, or a, a well to have any hope for living and, and being able to thrive in this area. Here's a picture of, the, of a well at Beersheba. Uh, this is a well with a tamarisk tree out front. Now, the Bible talks about Abraham digging a well at Be- Beersheba and planting a tamarisk tree out front. This is not that well. This is just a well with a tamarisk tree, very common, uh, right at the gates of Beersheba. But um, Abraham lives here. He digs a well here because you need, you need water. Uh, Abraham's son Ishmael almost dies here at Beersheba. Remember, he's, he's been kicked out of their house. His, his mom is with him, Hagar, and they run out of water near Beersheba. You run out of water in the Negev, you are in trouble. No water, no life. No water, no hope. And Hagar and, and Ishmael run out of water, and, and it's so bad in the, here because it's so dry that, that she leaves Ishmael under a, a shrub while he, to die because they're out of water in the Negev. And, and that goes on until an angel shows up and shows Hagar a well where she can get water and, they, and they, they live and they survive. But again, in the Negev, it is a harsh, dry place. No water, no hope. No water, no life. Now, there is this stream here at... Uh, at Beersheba, behind Beersheba. And so there's camels that, that refuel. I don't know what you, what you say there. Um, here at, at Beersheba, uh, it's a place of sheep. Now, when I think of Psalm 23, I think of this as the setting of Psalm 23 when it comes to uh, David writing about how Yahweh is my shepherd and then he leads me beside still waters or quiet waters. This, isn't, this is not in the part of the land with all the flash floodings, although there is flash floodings here. But this is definitely safe, quiet waters. And I know David lived in this area. And he traveled past this stream bed. This exact stream bed, David tra- travels through at least when he's pursuing the Amalekites. So he's been right here. And I, and I kind of wonder if this is the setting that he's thinking in his mind of, of the shepherd leading the sheep by still waters by, and restoring the soul, the streams in the Negev as restoring places. Uh, that's just, that's just for, for fun there. But that's, that's here at Beersheba. Every part of the promised land that we're going to be studying and looking at has the potential to teach the people who live there about faith. About trusting God. Every part has its faith lessons and every part has its faith challenges. And sadly, what we keep seeing is that every region, the people tend to move away from faith because of their challenges instead of learning about the faith with the opportunities they have to grow and, and trust God. That is true in all the regions. It is very true here in the Negev. There was so much potential to learn about trusting God and what faith is like, but they, they failed to learn those lessons in this dry place. And just as we, uh, we see here in, in Beersheba, just like Arad, this place was a place of rebels. 
And this is a place where Samuel's sons, the good judge and leader Samuel, his sons were leaders at Beersheba, and they were evil, and the nation rejected their leadership right here at Beersheba. We also discovered just like in Arad, there was false worship happening here in Beersheba as well. And the archaeologists have discovered the, the altar that they used for, for their offerings and sacrifices here in this, in this Negev city. I think the prophet Amos wrote about this particular city and the twistedness of the worship going on here. He writes in Amos chapter four, uh, 8 verse 14, um, he's, he's talking about those who um, are not worshiping Yahweh. He says, those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, as surely as your God lives, Dan. Dan is the city to the north where they have a golden calf, one of the two golden calves, one of those false, uh, false representations. Uh, representatives of Yahweh, this, this golden calf to the north. And then it says, or as surely as the God of Beersheba lives. Now, I don't know exactly what they were worshiping here, what the God of Beersheba is, but Amos is like, it's not the God of the Bible. It, it's not Yahweh. And, and there's a reference there of this, this false worship in Beersheba. Okay, what is the deal with the Negev? This place where God's people are, are, they're rebelling against God in the days of Moses and they end up wandering and, and, and dying for 40 years. Where they continue to rebel against God in the days of the kings. I'm sure that the Negev is a dry, hard land. It's a, it's a par parched land, a place of, of wanderings and rebels, but it didn't have to be that way. It didn't have to be that way. Like all the regions of the promised land, faith can flourish here. Faith can flourish here, just like in all regions. It just takes intentionality and it takes work. But that's true about all the regions. Faith takes intentionality and work in any environment, in any situation. It's true in the promised land as we go through the study. It's true for your life. Whatever your life situation is, you need to know that faith can flourish. Whatever you're going through now, even if it seems like a dry place. What is the faith lesson of the Negev? Well, it has to do with living in dry seasons. When, when, you're, when your soul feels dry, when your spirit feels dry, this a Negev spirit, uh, season. I, I don't know if you've ever had a season like that where you just feel burned out. Where you just feel your, your soul is dry. Where it just doesn't feel like there's life on the inside. Your batteries are drained. You have no energy. Uh, the, the only thing you have a lot of is apathy. Like that, that, that's about it. That there, there's times in our lives where we, we can go through spiritual seasons of, of, of Negev, of dryness, spiritual desert seasons... And it just feels like you have no motivation anymore for anything. No motivation to read the Bible. No, re no motivation to pray. No, no motivation to go to church. No motivation to even care about, about it, anything. Like just, I, I just don't care right now. Uh, you, you just feel like the life, uh, your spiritual life is just sucked out of your life. Where you feel far from God. And you feel further away from this thing called passion when it comes to God. That's a Negev season. That's a, that's a spiritually dry season. And you might have some of those in your life. Maybe you're in one right now. Now, they're unpleasant. That's for sure. 
but they're actually potentially powerful at having long-term impact for good in your life if you are full, if you, if you walk them in faith, if you walk them in faith and courage. The thing is, though, is many people, most people, most people in dry seasons, in negative seasons, they, they just drift away from God in their apathy. They just wander away in their apathy. Now, they might still worship God, but, I mean, they, you know, they, I'm not giving up on God. I've just given up on church. Or I've not given up on the Bible. I just don't read it. I still own one somewhere. I, I, I haven't given up on prayer. I just don't do it. You know, they, they just kind of slide into to, to apathy, and, or maybe they kind of customize, well, I don't like churches anymore, but, but you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of do, do my own thing. That, that's just part of the, uh, a ne- what people do in Negev seasons. Today's faith lesson, though, is simply some instruction, some very practical instruction about how to spiritually flourish, how to be restored, and how to come alive when you're in a dry season, a negative season. And of course that has to do with water, right? Of course that has to do with water. In the Negev, you need the very basic thing. You need water. And in life, you need hope. In life, you need Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 7, if anyone is thirsty, perfect for a Negev season, if anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. That's Jesus' answer to those who are in dry seasons. If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. And by that, he meant to receive the Holy Spirit and the, the, refreshing, the, the refreshing of the presence and, uh, and power of the Spirit. If you've been a believer for a while, the renewing of passion that comes from the Holy Spirit. Okay, so how, how, do, you, how do you come to Jesus? How do you come to Jesus when, when you look around and you just see desert everywhere? You just see Negev everywhere. How do you do this? Well, number one, you keep digging. You keep digging. Check out this picture. This picture is a people who are digging a well in a dry land. If you find yourself in a spiritually dry place, keep digging you need water. You need water. So you need to dig yourself a deeper spiritual well than you currently have. There is water down there, but your well, whatever it's been thus far in your life, isn't deep enough for the Negev season's water. And so you need to keep digging down. Now that's going to benefit you for the entirety of your life because then you'll have a deeper well in general, whatever season you go to, but you've got to keep digging. Um, how do you keep digging? Well, I encourage you to, if you find yourself in an apathy season, a dry season, to try something new and to try something old. Try something that you haven't tried before, and then try something that you have tried in the past. Um, maybe that is journaling. Journaling is very powerful. Have you ever done that before? Have you done that in the past? Uh, journaling. Um, uh, keep reading your Bible, and you're like, it's hard to read my Bible. I don't feel like reading my Bible. Look, it feels like maybe to you that you are trying to dig a well, you're, and you read your Bible, and you pull up dirt. And you're like, there's no water here. There's no water in my shovel. 
There's no, there's no water here. Every time I go to read my Bible, it's just dirt. I don't have any water. I don't have any refreshing in the Bible. Look, guys, you keep reading because there is water down there. Maybe today you didn't hit it yet, but you keep digging, and you dig tomorrow, and you still get dirt. It's not worthless to keep digging, and if you're evaluating your shovel full today, you're missing what's really happening. You're pursuing the water which is there. By staying reading. Sometimes we just are too short-term in evaluating, well, the last couple days I haven't gotten much out of my Bible reading, so maybe I'll try something else. No, no, no. The water's there. Keep digging. Keep digging. Uh, trying some other things. Maybe some things you've tried before or not. Uh, 40 Days of Prayer. I, I like this Mark Batterson book, uh, Draw the Circle. Uh, I, I've gone through that several times over the years. Um, we have at church these 8 a.m., 8 p.m. prayer calls that, that were going on last month. I know that uh, some of you I saw very faithfully uh, in the mornings or in the evenings. And, uh, and you know, those, those of you I, I know were very blessed by, by having that practice and that, that just kind of the extra thing. Praise God, Laura decided we're going to keep going this month. It was your idea. It was your idea. And you persuaded everyone in all of Rehope. So, uh, so you know, give it a go. And, and, you know, in retrospect, I don't know, I feel like those who made some commitments to themselves, like I'm going to try and go to every evening one or every morning one or I'm going to try and go to five a week. Those who made those kind of commitments got the most out of, got out of it because we tend to slide towards apathy, right? Um, uh, maybe you might want to try worship during exercise. I mean, I, I don't like exercising, and, and I tend to not listen to worship music when I'm exercising, but I, I've tried that in my more dry seasons to try and restore my soul, to keep digging. Uh, prayer walking, I don't know if you've tried that, or a new spiritual podcast, joining a read-through group, going back to a read-through group, you know, that sort of a thing. I bought myself a 90-day kind of a reading-slash-journaling kind of prayer exercise book that I'm going to give a go in this next season. But the point is to keep digging. Trying something new, trying something old, but keeping digging. It's going to pay off. It's going to pay off because there's water there. The other thing is keep seeking. Keep digging, keep seeking. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. There are streams in the Negev. Here's a picture. There are streams in the Negev. But if you ask Hagar or anybody who's been there and felt like they've run out of water, it doesn't look like there's any streams. It doesn't look like there's any water. It just looks dry and awful and hostile and, 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 and hopeless. But there are streams in the Negev, and your shepherd, Jesus, knows how to lead you to the peaceful streams, to the streams even in the Negev. He, he knows where they are, but you need to, to follow him. You feel like you're alone in the Negev. You feel like you have no hope in the Negev. You just need to keep following your shepherd, Jesus, who leads you to places where your soul can be restored even in the Negev. You keep seeking. The temptation is to give up. The temptation is to, you know, just, I, I just have nothing left. I'm just going to give up. But the truth is, when you're in the Negev, you need to trust more. 
not less. You need to, to keep going uh, more intentionally in the Negev. And, and you, you need to probably draw your attention just down to the very, very basics when you're very, very dry. The basics like water. The most basic things for life. Uh, and what are some of those most basic things when your soul is dry? Well, you cling to the fact of Jesus is with me. Jesus, my shepherd, is with It doesn't feel like he's with me. But the tr simple truth is he is with me. Jesus sees me. I don't see him. He sees me. And that's what's important. Jesus cares about me. And, and that I am thirsty, and that I am I'm dry, and that I need water. My shepherd is paying attention to me in, in this dryness. And he cares, and he knows, and he rescues, and he leads these very simple truths. And there's hope for me. Because Jesus is real, he's really here, and he's really powerful. When we're in these dry seasons, and we've got not much strength at all, we just have to make sure we grab onto the most basics and, and to let our shepherd lead us to the streams or to the wells. And in the meantime, we keep digging. The challenge today is this. If you are in a dry, negative season, what's something new that you'll try to keep digging for spiritually refreshing water? What's something new? And what's something you have tried in the past that you're going to try and restart? I suggest being very specific. I've done this before. I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to dig the well in my life deeper. It's not just good for this season that you're in now. It's good for every season. It's good for every season. I want to pray for you. And I want to pray for times of refreshing uh, for you and for your life. I encourage you to place your hand on your head and maybe two hands if you, if you want to. And I am going to bless you and, and I'm going to ask the, uh, well, I'm going to guide you in a prayer. And what I want you to say is, Holy Spirit, come and fill me up anew. I want you to pray, Holy Spirit, come and restore my soul. Refresh my heart. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and put your right spirit in me. Refresh, restore, renew, rebuild, replenish. Jesus, I do ask for you uh, to be generous with your spirit at this time. Pour out your spirit in, in response to these prayers. And let times of refreshing flow in every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.